Welcome to So You Want to Be an Ally. We share our stories and our insights on non-Black allyship to Black women. My name is Darlene. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. I help parents advocate for their Black and Brown kids' emotional and racial identity development needs. And that's because our kids deserve the opportunity to grow, learn, strive, and thrive. My name is Olani Ke. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. And my life experience led me to becoming an advocate for equity in the workplace, which led me to starting a consulting business where I help workplaces who want to do better. Want to be an ally? Gather around and listen up. Hey fam, this is part 1B of our microaggression series. Check out part 1A to get caught up. We're going to jump right into the middle of our conversation where Darlene and I are talking about how long our people have been sick and tired of being sick and tired and how much we go through in deciding how to respond to the bull. Y'all, yep. when, and it was uh, Fannie Lou Hamer, yep. when, when she said we're sick and tired of being sick and tired, she said that in the 60s, I think, 50, like, I want to say it was in the 60s. We can, we can fact check that. But she was sick. They, they, they were sick and tired. Her and her peers and activist peers were sick and tired then. Yes. Right? And so the, if, yeah, it's real. That's the piece about, no, even about what you were saying, just adding that piece, mm-hmm. right? This idea that, like, there's a complete disregard for the historical context of what we go through. It's a complete, and that is the traumatic part, which is going back to why we started this podcast. Allies, this is what's going on in that moment. I have a complete recollection of everything. I have to have gone Mm -hmm. to an HBCU. I can literally just have gone back the last 10 years. And you're going to sit in my face and tell me that nothing's going on. That's what's popping up for me in that moment. I just went back 10 years. Don't have any knowledge or context or what happened in Mississippi back. You have a close relationship with your grandparents or your auntie and they shared their stories. We ain't even got to go to the history books. We can go to lived experience from love mm-hmm. and the complete mm-hmm. disregard mm-hmm. and the racial discrimination that we have access to what we yep. know and have continuously been treated unequally unequally yeah. and negatively because of our race simple stereotyping treated ho- with hostile um with a hostile approach mm-hmm. and attitude because of my race racial profiling so you take all of that and then you add on top of that my own hatred of myself now i don't hate myself i love being black i just told y'all but there are those among us who have internalized all this hate and holds mm-hmm. personal beliefs about their own race and racism yep. in their own mind based on the messages they've received. And yep. Kay, you've had the privilege of it starting at 10. I, yeah. was, I was sucking on and the that bottle. Is. And that mm-hmm. message, the moment my eyes touched the TV screen, that's yeah. when I got messaging. And I'm a brown girl. And yeah. the sad part was, I even got messages from, and my mom used to tell me this all the time. They used to always say, oh, look at your, what, you, what, the, what they used to call me, the dark child. I was considered a dark child. Now, you can see me. If you don't know me, I ain't that dark. I ain't <laughs> brown, but I ain't the darkest of the darkest. Wow. We, that's what I'm talking about. Wow. Lies, racism. We are constantly yeah. receiving messages about our complexion, about our worth, and it comes internally and externally. 
So yeah. this is the racial trauma. So you add all that up and you wonder why we ain't all exhausted. We literally should have all be in uh, on an island somewhere in the institution because we should be we yeah tired like yeah for real. Yeah. But we're not. We are resilient people. Yeah. But these are the common reactions to this. We talked about the increased stress, right? The compounding effect of all of this. The distracting, the distraction and difficulty to focus. So I don't know how many of y'all had a hard time when the orange man was, um, when he won the presidency. I had a rough couple weeks. It was, uh, it was rough. rough ever since. It has been rough, right? And so because here's talk. what, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Here, here's what the day, the day before the election in 2016, I said to my husband, "We can't." We can't, like, he could win. Yep. This is still America. He yep. could win. Yes. Everyone was so confident. And it's something deep won. down said, you, you don't know until, we're not there until we're there. Yep. And after the election, it was like, I was hoping that America would prove me wrong. Mm-hmm. I really was. Because, yeah, I, I was really yeah. hoping. Because it was clear, now we've had four years of just his blatant yes. white supremacy at play. He doesn't have to be wearing a hood nope. to be a white supremacist. He don't wear his no more. Even though his <laughs> daddy wore one. Politician. But we ain't going to talk about that. <laughs> I didn't even know that. <laughs> Girl, there's a picture. I, I don't, anyway. So what's that bar? White supremacy is not about being in the KKK. You exactly. could, you yourself could hate the KKK and still be a white exactly. supremacist. Look yep. it up. Look up the real definition, yes. and let's get real about what that really means. It means yep. that you have bought into the lie that was told four hundred some odd years ago that, that white whiteness is better, is better. Mm-hmm. and yep. that lie had a whole messaging campaign, newspapers, mm-hmm. events like to support that lie and to reinforce that lie and to, to, to feed it to people mm-hmm. over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. So that's a real thing that happened. It happened with law. There was a time in this country when, when it became a country, it became the United States where you couldn't be a citizen unless you were white. Mm-hmm. It's documented and on paper. Mm-hmm. So whiteness is a thing. In, 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 in terms of the advantages that it gives you, all of the benefits that came with citizenship at that point only went to white people because those were the only people that could be citizens. And on top of that, let's, and we're just going to give a brief history lesson for all those who like to bring up European ancestry. Right. So let's talk about how whiteness was given and awarded legally. You can find this stuff. It was legally awarded to those who were not considered American. This is why white people who are Italian, white people who yeah. are Polish, white, because I want you know, I got to put the Italian because I always say Italian because mm-hmm. Italians were mistreated when they came over here. Right. They were mistreated. Yeah. Italians and Blacks yeah. were yes. in the slums together. Yes. And they, yes. But they were granted <laughs> white, they were granted yep. white access to whiteness. And so yep. now they live amongst those privileges. Yeah. So it's very, you have to understand that whiteness is. So it's thing. like a, it's so like a chip, you know, yeah. like some, some people get it and certain people don't. And yes. that chip gets you access to certain things. Yes. 
But when you become, but there's a cost to it too. So for white people that can actually chase, like trace their European ancestry, there's a cost to like signing on and, and taking that chip and signing on to whiteness because you have culture too that yep. you've missed, that you've lost along yes. the way. And I think some yes. families do a good job of retaining their European yes. culture and their yes. heritage, but there is a cost to, to, to agreeing and coming yes. into whiteness in the United States. And yes. that's something that good people job. don't talk about that much either. So yeah, I, the, the fact that, that, or that he won the presidency, I, I was really hoping that we would, that we would, we would be wrong. And now that we're in 2020, I'm not convinced that, that he's not going to win again. A lot of people have said that. I don't, and at this point, you know, and, and that may be another podcast, but at this point, I think it's set the stage for us to, as Black people and people of color, to be able to become aware of the true impacts of racial stress and trauma without it being denied. Because yeah. that's why I said, I can appreciate the orange man for bringing these people to be out to be overtly racist, right? So now we get, we, we're shedding the magnifying glass and shedding a light on some of the, sh- the stuff that we are, we've always known. It's just the people mm-hmm. out here who are now finally getting a glimpse of it. And so but going, going back to kind of the common reactions to the racial stress and trauma, just so that, you know, everybody listening can understand, it's that anxiousness and that worry, right? So like, I brought that example of, of what happened and why I had such a, a rough, you know, couple weeks after he is because I was distracted because I'm thinking about all the people had already come out the woodworks and I was thinking this is just going to get worse. So now I'm yeah. worried and just kind of replaying all this stuff in my head because I know the history now. So in my mind, I'm questioning, okay, are we going back straight to the 50s, 60s or like, <laughs> right. what I need to do? What I need to prepare? I do. I need yes. to you know, and, and at this point, like you said, I'm a mother bear. I have a whole black son, right? a whole black son. And yeah. nobody knows like, how many times I've looked at my son when he has on like shorts and a t-shirt and look at him, I mean, and no shirt. And th- and I swear to God, this is like 100% transparent. I've looked at him and said, man, somebody would have used him as a slave. Like he would have fit. Mm, and that's some scary shit, y'all. Damn. Like it's crazy. Like how many times I've, I've when I'm holding him or sitting next to him and he just walking yeah. around here being, I'm, I, I just thank God. I'm just so grateful. Wow. Because somebody would have took him from me. They would have stole him from mm-hmm. me and used him because and that's and white allies this is what you have to understand that it's not so far removed it is present stuff that we're playing it is every day cur- yes this is stress and trauma the anxiety about what it means to send my son out the anxiety mm-hmm. for him not to be prepared the avoidance the plan and prepare for the next time so we talked about you talked about the ptsd and what it looks like in that trauma the pick preparing and planning for the next mm-hmm. altercation for the next mm-hmm. time somebody's gonna say something discriminatory or some microaggression to me and how can right. i how can I prepare for this? How can I plan for this? What are the costs and the outcome? You know, if I decide to fight, what are the costs and outcome? If I just flight, just I'm just gonna quit the yep. job, forget it. What are yeah. the costs and outcome? If I just freeze and I don't say nothing. Oh my God. And then what about the go along to get along? Because that's the thing too. We this is the responses to trauma: fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. So fawn is a newer one for those of us. Yeah, who, tell who us about fawn. But fawn basically means. I'm going to go along to get along. It's the, the fun thing of a deer, right? Um, and you know, you just kind of prance in and just, it's like, oh, you know, that didn't bother me. I'm okay. When, on, and then you go back to your office and be like, this, and so you go home and you vent about it because you boxed in all your frustration and the disrespect uh-huh. that you experienced, but you got to get it out somewhere because it can't stay there. But you have to think about it. These are all survival responses. 
And we as a people have been in survival in response to this racial stress and trauma for so long. We stay in survival mode. And so that's where we are. These are the complexity. This, all of this whole, we've been talking, I don't know how long. And I want our allies to understand that all of this is what's in our brain. Can you imagine? And like, in like microseconds. That second, that's what, that, yep. This is what you prick when you say, oh, yes. you wrote that report? Yes. <laughs> oh, you're so articulate. Oh, you know, I like your hair a lot better when it's straight. Oh, oh da 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 touch your hair. Or oh. this is what you, this is the, the like open wound that you stick yes. your finger in when, when you say those things yes. and we snap. Yeah, hopefully you understand. You get it now. Yeah, you said you want to be allied. So this is not yeah. an, this is not an excuse. This is an understanding. Yeah. So hopefully you get it. So if you if you've aligned with us, if you consider yourself an ally, and this is not to say you have to accept anybody mistreating you, but understand. And I've said this before. So I need everyone listening to understand that there is a cultural difference in communication between white and black people on a general level. Now, of course, there are variations, right, on the spectrum, but mostly, for the most part, I know in my experience and those that I've talked with about this, most Black people are direct. Yep. Whereas the white-centered approach to communication is a roundabout way, right? So Mm -hmm. where I'm going to say, hey, you're stepping on my toe, what you tend to hear in spaces where it's mostly white centered, or maybe you could think of an example. Of like, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. more like, oh, well, I could see that you were on your way to the bathroom and you intentionally <laughs> bumped my table. And in doing that, it brought you over here and you stepped on my toe. Right. And my, and my and toe was know. stepped on. Yeah, yeah, I wonder, right. I, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder who stepped on my toe. Do you know who might have stepped on my toe? Even though you were the only one here near yeah. my toe? This very over, like around the way. Around about, like just get to the point already. Yes. (laughs) So that is, I can understand why people perceive, you know, me to be too direct or have a difficult, have difficulty with my directness because it comes off as very sharp. Um, But that is my communication style. And so if you're, if I'm in the middle of being microaggressed against, I'm not about to fluff you. I'm going to tell you, I don't like that. And I'm not yelling. I didn't raise my voice. I didn't put a lot of energy behind it. But guess what? If I decided to, I have that right. Why? Because I just told you, I just spent this last hour or 50 minutes or however long. Telling you all the things. I'm carrying. Right. So, yeah. Right. So these open. And that is, and that, that work that we do to manage our response and manage our what we say and our behavior is part of that weight that we have to carry. So we're feeling all of this. You do or say something to step on our toe, right? So to prick us, to, to you stick your finger in that wound. And I can't just be human in my response. I have to then stop and go, okay, exactly. what's my setting? Where am I? Am I, did this just happen at a get together at, at a friend's place? Am I at work? Am I, you know, at the PTA meeting, at my kids' school? Like, what is the environment that I'm in? What are the power dynamics at play? Um, What happens if I choose to say something? What am I risking? And what are the potential consequences for me? Like, so I have to feel whatever it is that I'm feeling. And then I have to do all these calculations to figure out if I'm going to respond and try to honor the injury that I'm feeling 
if the answer is yes, and I choose to do that, then I have to think about like, well, how, right? How am I going to present this? You know, anyway, yeah. Am I going to be direct? <laughs> am I going to be indirect? You know, so that you can hear me. Do I have to take on your language uh, yes, structure right. to, to, to tell this thing that I need to tell you so that you yes. can actually hear me? Yes. Instead of just speaking freely about the injury that, that you've caused me. I mean, like, yes. So after processing all the, all the, all, like the pain and the wound and the injuries, right. then I have to process how I'm going to interact and exchange yes. um, and have an exchange with you about the thing that just happened. Right. It's a lot of work. A whole bunch. Gosh darn it. <laughs> a whole bunch. It goes to the point that we, you know, kind of what we were talking about earlier about the trauma responses, right? So we got flight, mm -hmm. fight, freeze, fawn. So that can give you the context for why you're seeing different things. So there are going to be some people who decide to just yell. I'm not going to process all that. I'm in pain. I'm going to say what needs to be said. And yep. if that means nudging you a little bit to get you off my toe, I'm going to nudge you to get you out. I'll deal with the consequences later. I'll deal with it later on. But right now, yep. I need this to get off my foot. I need yep. it. I need this to go because it's causing me pain. So that's what that's you might fine. observe when someone is using a fight, like yep. F-I-G-H-T, a fight response, meaning I got to go. Got to get it off. Yeah. Gotta protect myself. Survival of my toe. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> then you have the flight response, where in that moment somebody's like, "Holy shit, this person just stepped on my toe," and, and but it's internal, and then it's like, "I'm sorry, excuse me, I gotta go," because they don't mm -hmm. they don't know how to interact in that moment if they right. can't escape. But what if I can't right. escape? Right. So do I freeze or do I thaw, or do I fight? Some people might fight because they can't escape. They might mm -hmm. freeze and just stand there and sit there and then look down at their foot. Right. And hope. And the freeze is like, I really hope this person can see that they're stepping on my toe. Cause if not, then I have to come up with something else. Mm -hmm. But right now in this moment, I'm frozen. So take that compliment that you just gave to that person for, for this PowerPoint that you just mm -hmm. gave. And you said, uh, so you heard, you overheard ally. You overheard somebody give them a compliment. They don't say anything. And you're wondering like, why are they so quiet? What's going on? Yeah. Because they're processing. Did they, just, did they just hear that compliment? Like they thought your presentation was really yeah. great. They love the colors that you used. <laughs> no, I'm weighing out my options here. So I don't cuss you all the way out. Right. Because you just said something stupid to me. So it's better for me mm -hmm. not to say anything to say something else. I'm just going to be quiet. Right. Yep. Then you have the fawn, which is, again, all of these we're very familiar with. But I, I think you, Nikkei and I, remember we talked about yeah. kind of parsing this out fawn. a little bit. So yeah, Fawn is going to save some lives. This y'all yeah. about to get set free. I'm, you might have missed it earlier. Yes. I'm going to give Break you this down Fawn. Yes. going to save your life. So the <laughs> Fawn is, she just snatched it in there. She just snatched all y'all life. Y'all welcome. <laughs> um, the Fawn is where you're in the moment and somebody says something just like, it's really obviously biased. And you just smile and be like, oh, that's funny. And everybody else is looking. I mean, you can see it in the room, right? Like, everybody looking mm -hmm. like, oh, that was completely inappropriate. But she was like, yeah. oh, they didn't mean nothing by it. Right. And then they go on about their lives. So, Oof. yeah, okay. Save somebody's Oof. life. The, the, the going along to get along. Listen, y'all. Like, this. So, let me say this. If you're a person of color out there, and if you're Black, a Black woman like we are, you might have to fawn to survive. Yes. And there's a saying, all, all I got to do is stay black and die. <laughs> and, and that's okay, because with all the weight, with all the weight of what we're carrying, sometimes, like, 
I don't have it in me today. I'm just going to stay black today. Like I'm not doing nothing else, but surviving. That is perfectly okay. Intentional fawning. (laughs) I'm, I'm good. Right. And you're good because at the end of the, you have to do what works for you. I think it's important for our bystanders, our allies and accomplices that are maybe seeing an interaction and wondering why someone may not be speaking up or speaking up to, to understand a, a little bit more of what, like there, there are different things that might be playing out and don't assume that you know why anyone is acting the way that they're acting in that scenario. And when you, um, before you like, mm-hmm. like give the example, I wanna make sure we're clear about what we're talking about in the event mm-hmm. of like you're observing this black person had this experience. So an ally might, like an, an ally who heard this example might either feel like this scratch on the inside, like that one, right? Or like have this urge to want to speak up and then they might halt themselves because the black person in a room either agrees with the oppressive thinking or the yep. white supremacist thinking or the suggestion, or they might just, again, just like go like laugh at the joke, even though it was clearly racist or inappropriate or something like that. So I want to be yeah. clear about that behavior for both our, you know, the black women and the people of color and our allies, like this is what you can expect to see. So yeah, mm-hmm. you were saying. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cause I, you know, I've told Darlene this story before of how I was in a, um, in a diversity and inclusion council meeting. And I made the comment that we have to really stop pretending like meritocracy is a thing because oh, cool. as long as there's room for bias to play a role in how people get advanced in the workplace, then it's not 100% a meritocracy, right? And the person who spoke up to disagree with me was a black man in that conversation. I mean, you could have knocked me out of my chair with, <laughs> by just blowing a fan off, like turning the fan on, because I was like, really, brother? Like, wh- okay, okay, right? <laughs> and that was a really interesting situation because then it was a white woman that spoke up and said something. And I don't remember what she was saying because you have to understand before I said what I said, I sat there and, pon- and considered whether or not to say it for a long time mm-hmm. as this conversation mental, was playing out. So gymnastics. <laughs> gymnastics and calculations. I'm doing trigonometry while I'm flipping around inside my mind. Like, am I going to say this thing? This thing needs to be said. Yeah. How much do I, what is the risk of me saying this, what are the potential consequences? What might this cost me and my career and in in this place and my relationships and right? Because a lot, and this was in a corporate setting. So I I decided that I was going to say something because at the end of the day, I have to be true to who I am and my values and my my own integrity, whether anybody sees it or not is means something to me. So I decided to say something. And you might be thinking like, why is this all you're saying is what's well, obvious, but you have to, in, in yeah. some of these scenarios, the obvious thing is like the most radical thing you could, you could possibly say. <laughs> yep. So I said it, there, there was silence. And then my black male colleague spoke, spoke up. Um, and I have to think now, now that I have this language that he was in the go along to get along, fawning yes. seat, right? Yes. And I wasn't just going along with everything and get along. And what was so disturbing about this whole situation is why are we even debating whether meritocracy is a thing or not right. in a diversity and inclusion council meeting? Yes, exactly. That should the be like... The presence of diversity and inclusion lets you know meritocracy is... Dis- why do we need to have a diversity and inclusion council <laughs> if meritocracy is working right. and everybody's, you know, getting advanced? And, like, we wouldn't need us right. to be here if that was right. the case. <laughs> right? It would be a, so... 
<laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, so a white woman did speak up and she did she was very neutral in her statement. Um, she didn't like necessarily agree or disagree, but just said something like, you know, this is something that maybe we should continue to think about and let's move, mm-hmm. you know, so, so we can move the conversation on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a couple of black women that were in that meeting, like say something to me after the fact, mm-hmm. they too did not feel comfortable speaking up in the moment, mm-hmm. but at least That's they didn't speak too. up to disagree. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It would have been great if, if any of anyone spoke yes. up to support and yes. and 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 sort of validate what i was saying mm-hmm. um but that's fine <laughs> i'm used to being the only one speaking up the only one okay mm-hmm. the only one <laughs> that's where we live <laughs> so but along but along lines yeah. of what you were saying like the fawning thing it's like mm-hmm. in respect of other brown people other black women black men right? We each come with our own unique challenges and we each, every time we have something to say, like we weigh those things out. And as you were, as you said before, it's not like, like, we don't know what what he was going through. We don't know who was in a meeting with him, who he had had an experience with, who had played him out because he had said something before, right? Like we don't know those things. We don't know what, what injury and what pain and what, like, we don't know. I don't know his story. (laughs) So it's not a cut against him at all. Like, that's not the thing. This Mm -hmm. is, because we will each have our own experiences, but it's so important to say this out loud. So you were yeah. you were about to add something else. Yeah, I think that some people are in this fawn space, Black mm. people are in this fawn space, and they know it. Mm. That's So if I was going to just make some generalizations, the Black people who said something to me after the fact, I didn't mm-hmm. say it in the moment, mm-hmm. um, are maybe in this fawning space. So they stay quiet instead of saying anything mm. at all. Mm-hmm. Um, he, I think, is probably also fa- in the spawn s- mm-hmm. space, um, and, but maybe doesn't realize it, mm. right? Mm. Right. So that's why his reaction was to speak up and say something, you know, in his in his effort to go along to play along. Because I mm-hmm. think if you're intentionally fawning, you're mm-hmm. not going to get in the way of progress. If you see someone mm-hmm. saying something that needs to be said, you just let it be but you're not going to stick your neck out either. But, right? But it's if you're awesome. blindly fawning and you don't even realize yes. that you're just going along to get along and you don't, you haven't even really thought about like the box that you're making Ooh. yourself fit into to survive in this space, you end up getting in the way of progress. It's okay if you don't yes. want to do the work. I was okay doing the work. I didn't need yes. you to come <laughs> behind me and get in the way. Yep. Because the white person that's sitting in the room that hasn't done their, you know, work is not wondering, well, this black person said this is happening, but this other black person doesn't think it's happening. I don't think it's happening. Must not be real. Yep. Must not be real. Yep. Candace. What's her name? Candace. Oh, girl. (laughs) Must not go there. (laughs) I can't. Okay, we started on her. That was it. I just just want to give a real life current example. Yes. (laughs) Because the, because people, her and others like her, and, t- and some people are doing it unintentionally. Like, I don't even know if he thought that deep about him yep, making exactly. a comment. Exactly. Um, it's possible that he's just completely drunk the Kool-Aid and really believes in meritocracy. <laughs> I don't know. Who knows? Um, but the, de- the damage that the cause is white people and even other people of color yep. that want to continue to live in the space of denial and, and distractions and not really taking what we're saying seriously and joining us to, to make meaningful progress, they have, now you've given them a lifeline. You've given them a way out, a way, you know, an excuse, something they can use to dismiss 
the uncomfortable thing that we're yeah. trying to get them to recognize so they can join hands and help us do something about it. And, and in that case, what comes to mind when you say other Black people and other people of color is that there's a real legitimate anti-Blackness that is across this globe. Absolutely. So while we align with other persons of color on discriminative behaviors and racial and xenophobic aspects um, and homophobic aspects, there is a real anti-Blackness, meaning yeah. it's, it, we're, we're not coupling it in with a bi-op, BIPOC or without, mm-hmm. you know, no, no, no. I don't want people to keep There's saying, BIPOC generalities and then there's right. anti-Blackness yes. reality. Yes, and I and and while we fit into that category, there is also a very specific and unique Black experience that has to be discussed on a right. global platform mm-hmm. because it's a yep. real thing. So sure. yeah. So I have I have a graphic, and I think we'll we'll get it up on our social media by the time this is this podcast is is published do we publish podcast? whatever whatever the uh, word is <laughs> posted <laughs> published <laughs> yes once y'all can actually listen to it um i have something i'm calling the fig chart and what that is is it's an attempt to show you in a in a in a in a visual the relationship between probably overly simplified way to show the mental gymnastics and calculations that that we're often making when we're deciding like, ouch, I've been attacked in some way and I feel this way and I'm deciding whether or not I'm going to speak on it, whether I'm going to react and try to get the aggressor to do something or to not acknowledge what what has just happened and and, and then resolve it in some way. So if you can sort of visualize a graph, right? Like you can figure like an X axis and the Y axis. <laughs> Stick it all the way back to algebra, I guess. Um, <laughs> is where we first learn about the graphs. It's actually pre-algebra. Pre-algebra. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So think, think about the X axis and the Y axis. All right. So on the Y axis, we're counting the number of fucks I give. <laughs> I love it. Hence, hence the name of the graph, fig, fucks I give. That's, <laughs> that's what's on the Y axis. On the so that's X, the up and down. That's the up and down. The fucks I give. Yeah. The more, the more fucks I give, the higher up on the Y axis we're counting, right? We're that's going. That's right. That's right. On the X axis, going, you know, from left to right, we have like a spectrum of if I'm going to just avoid the situation, swallow it, escape, um, all the way over to the far right, which is I'm going to be proactive. I'm going to speak about what just happened. I'm going to engage you, the aggressor, or someone, or or a group of people, and call out the thing that has happened um, and the injury that I've been caused by whatever that mm-hmm. thing is. A really big part of the decision making that's happening for me in those in 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 those moments is on the on the on the y axis is what do i have to lose by speaking up and do i care because if i if i still have a lot of fucks left to give like about that job or that friendship or <laughs> or that community or you know like whatever the the setting is if i feel like i have something to lose 
then it's more likely that I'm going to err on the on the y axis. I mean, sorry, on the x axis of avoiding slash escaping the situation. So that's where I guess like the fawn, you know, and the freeze is is closer um, to um, to the. Well, I should have looked up like all these terms, all these pre-algebra terms to the zero, oh. like to the center. Yeah. Yeah, because the higher, right, the higher, the, the, the more fucks I give, the mm -hmm. quieter I am, the more passive I am, the more I just completely ignore the thing or, or don't say anything at all. But once we start to get in the lower range of fucks, <laughs> where I'm like, mm -hmm. I don't care, I don't need this friend in my life, I don't need this job, I could go get another job, like whatever, or maybe the injury is just so great that you're dishonoring yourself, right, by not saying something. Right. So when when the number of fucks I give is low, <laughs> um, then I'm more likely to engage because I'm not as afraid of what it is that I'm risking or what I might lose by engaging and speaking up. I hope I explained that correctly. I think you um, did. I think you, it's, it's for the visual learners, it's going to be a little bit harder. So we mm -hmm. will, like she said, we're going to make sure we have the visual up. And if you want to pause here in the podcast and then go get the visual so that you can see what she's saying, then it'll probably help. I'm a visual learner, so I feel you. Um, yeah. But yeah, you did a good job of outlining the X axis and the Y axis. Right. And you could also like get out a pencil and a piece of paper and just like draw it for yourself so you can see. But yeah, you yeah, did, you did. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just you know, you know, sometimes as an as an ally or accomplice, something might happen and you don't see anyone reacting, and or you see some people reacting and some people not, and you're wondering why. Well, maybe the cost of reacting for them is too great, and that's why they're unable to react. If it's a job situation at work, and you are the sole like income earner, and you have children or parents or other people in your family that you're responsible for and other things to worry about, then risking your neck may not be worth it for you. Yeah. But if you're someone else and you happen to have the privilege, like if I get fired today, I'm okay because, you know, I can, you know, I have resources, I have a, a spouse, I have a parent that has a safety net for me. I can go to mom or dad and get six months worth of <laughs> living expenses yeah. until I, if for whatever reason, you are able to take that risk, then you might be more um, comfortable yep. speaking out than the person who's like, I really, you know, I got too, I, I got too yeah. much to lose, right? So I, I think all of the, this whole segment is to just help you understand if you're on the outside of a microaggression, like looking in, not to make any assumptions about what, what you're seeing in terms of the, the black people and how they're reacting or not reacting yes. if they're speaking up or not speaking up there is a lot that we have to deal yeah. with and carry and there is a, a good reason for any one of these reactions depending yep. on what our personal scenario is fight flight freeze or fawn. yep and in that in that in the event you know as we're speaking to um our allies you know this is a glimpse into again the minds we're lifting the veil um but in your case, if you're in the room and you're experiencing this, I think one of the things that resonated as uh, Nikkei was telling her story is that just to have, just to be validated in your thinking is something that you can do if you can speak up. Because yeah. um, you might also, there could be an allyship uh, fit chart, um, <laughs> which, which may be worth further oh, exploration. Right, I, I know. Yes. yes. 
Yeah, yes. we, we, we got plenty of content, y'all. We're going to do this for the rest <laughs> of our lives. Um, <laughs> yes. But, but, you know, in the... It, in the seat of the ally um because again there's you you all are going through your own process as well it's like you know should yeah. i say something is this appropriate for me this is clearly two black people talking and i you know you're you're having yeah. that process and i just heard uh darling say last time that white people always inserting themselves and <laughs> i hear you i get it right right <laughs> and nikkei you know nikkei said you know it's it feels good to be validated so you know you can assert yourself and say well you know i do i do have, kind of have an understanding of what you know, Nikkei might be sharing, and this is my perspective on it. And that's not saving her. That's you sharing your own experience about what your understanding is of what she said versus, well, I think everybody should understand what Nikkei is trying to say or, but no, no, mm-hmm. not needed. Mm-hmm. Nope, not needed. We're not looking yes. for a savior or a hero yeah. or sympathy even. Just, you know, and I'm just saying- Just speak your truth. Things. If you're yes, sitting there yes. and you also think that the thing that just happened was wrong, yeah. just say that. Yes, that's it. That's it. Um, because in that fun experience, you know, that is, that's one of the things I always talk about. Like, as much as Black people have to deal with the external stuff that's going on with society, as we've, out, we've laid out the racial trauma history, there's also internal things that are going on within our community. And so, again, not looking for a savior, not looking for a hero, not looking for sympathy, just looking for an ally or an accomplice to call out the same things that are observed in this oppressive and white supremacist um, you know, society and environment. That's it. Yeah. That's yeah. what we're aligning on. That's, that's yeah. why you're an ally. You're aligning on that particular initiative. Um, and that's what's being asked of, you know, from the finding perspective, um, yes. from the flight perspective, from the fight perspective, just, Hey, this is what you, you're seeing. This is why you're seeing this. So just thinking about how to close out since we've had such a fruitful conversation about a number of things, um in hopes of giving our allies a context for what they might experience or observe uh when there are you know black folks being microaggressed against yeah um i want to make sure that i leave you guys with the understanding that you know this racial trauma and racial stress is a real thing and of course we know that society you know what's going on in society has definitely exacerbated that but i want to be clear about one thing this information is being shared just so that you have a context. And yes, these are things that Black people are managing. And so hopefully this is an opportunity for you to understand the impact of trauma, racial trauma, and racial stress, and what it looks like in the larger community. Mm-hmm. But use this information to inform yourself and your behaviors. I want to make sure that it's clear that this information is not to be used to garner sympathy or to ignite or kind of get the saviors out there and the heroes who want to rush in and save black people. This is not the intention. Like that's not what I want. And I want our allies to take from that. I want them to have knowledge and information so that when you're doing your intrapersonal work, intra inside, when you're processing through things and you're adding to your content and knowledge that you now have more information to do that. Um, and that you take this information, consolidate it, make it make sense for you, mm-hmm. so that when you're in an interpersonal, meaning you're in an interaction with a person, that you can then kind of gauge your reactions and responses to it. Um, and, and that you also are well-informed and equipped with the right knowledge as an ally. Because one of the yeah. things that we said early on is that you have to go and do your own work. And so this is where we're equipping you with this knowledge and information just more on an FYI. 
So those would be the two things that I would leave. What about you, Nikkei? Good. Um, one quick thing that um, kind of connects to what you just said is we talked about all of the baggage and weight being a wound. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that your the microaggression feels so small and so slight mm-hmm. and like, what are you getting all excited for? But you really are like sticking, you know, <laughs> a finger, like sticking your finger in a wound that's yeah. just there. And it's still open and gaping because it has yeah. not been addressed mm-hmm. um, in, in, in society. And so I, I just remembered that and I want to call that back. Like I, I want our accomplices to understand yeah. that that's why the microaggression is so damaging is that yeah. it's not just that little one thing that happened right. or that slight. It's, it's bigger than that. So I, I want our um, listeners to consider the fig chart that we spoke about earlier and, and all the factors, right? The risks that we're potentially taking in, in choosing to speak up or not speak up and then in choosing how to speak up in a way that actually gets us, some, gets us somewhere the consequences for potentially speaking up, like those calculations that we've oversimplified into like the number of fucks you give and how much um, or if you speak out at all. There's so many factors in that calculation. um, And we've talked about all of them in the conversation today. And I I just want to highlight that again and say that um, I myself, the same Black woman may react one way today because of all the different factors that I'm thinking and considering, and I may react a totally different way next week if the same thing were to happen to me because of all the different factors that might be a play yes. for me in yes. that moment. So, so when you see one Black person react one way and one Black woman or person react a different way, um, I caution you to not like you know use that as a reason to to keep yourself in a in a in a comfortable place where mm-hmm. you you then don't challenge yourself about mm-hmm. what it is that just happened and what your role might have been in mm-hmm. stepping up as an ally and accomplice in that moment um and i would also caution you to not to be careful about placing judgment on the black and brown people that may not speak up because you don't know their story. This goes for us too. Like sometimes it's easy for me to be judgmental. Like, why didn't you say anything? We don't know each other's story. There's no right or wrong here. We have so much to deal with. Mm -hmm. Um, So um, it's just a, just hopefully this conversation today has given you more context, like Darlene said, for you to understand like how, how much you need to not make a judgment (laughs) or assumption Mm -hmm about why someone is reacting or speaking up um, or not. And then the, the second thing that I want to call back for people is the fawning. That was a big aha moment um, because we hear about fight, flight, and freeze all the time. But this idea of fawning is something that as soon as Darlene said it, it hit me. I got chills because, because at one point, probably in every black and brown person's life, you've had to fawn, you've had to do it. You felt like maybe you didn't have any choice. Um, And I would say even for women of all racial groups, Mm, mm. you know, having to live in a world, especially like in a workplace that was really designed and optimized for white men up until like the 60s (laughs) when everybody else was allowed to enter the workplace in droves, 
we could probably all think about the things we've had to do to go to just get along and to get by. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's important for um, for those of us that have to do it to be to realize when we're doing that and make it be an intentional choice because we need to do it for survival um, versus just doing it blindly and potentially causing injury to other people of color because we're not recognizing that that's the seat that we have to be in. We have to be fawn, we have to fawn for a little bit, but let, let's fawn quietly and not get in the way of the, the person that's ready to fight for the cause. <laughs> um, and then for our, for our, uh, for our allies and accomplices, just to, to also, you know, that's just context for you too, that people might be fawning intentionally because they have so much, um, to risk and they're not able to to risk that much in the moment but you may be in a position as an ally yes. where you you could be um uh, an ally and and not risk so much That's right. um so yep. and that reminds me of like uh they showed the um during the protests how they were showing i think there was like a barrier of white women yeah we talked about like that barrier, in one of the other episodes. Uh, yeah it was a recent one was i think there it was, was like a barrier of veterans yeah, the oh. white women I think were in, were in Louisville. Right? Yeah, but I saw a, um, I think I saw I forgot some platform where there were a barrier of veterans who did, who did the same thing. So wow. you know, again, it's like as you, I, I brought that up to say, you know, there are moments where you can use your privilege to make the case and and serve as a barrier to some of, from some of that heat blowing back on that person who does have a lot to risk, right. who stood out and had a lot to risk and was willing to risk it all and was just like, mm -hmm. I'm out here. Like you can mm -hmm. step up and, you know, and, and again, understand the difference between stepping up and using your privilege from your lens and your perspective and trying to save that person. Yeah, yeah. So that's different. Um, Absolutely. They, they, they wasn't fighting the cops. They wasn't in there. They ain't jumping there and try to take the hit. Right. Um, they just stood there. I don't, yeah. I don't need your protection in that way, but th there was a protective factor about it. And mm -hmm. that's what we want to be sure we understand the difference. So those white women and the veterans that you're talking about understood the reaction that they were going to get if they locked arms and stood in between the protesters and law enforcement versus if they weren't there. Yep. And so they understood that by them creating that physical barrier they were um they were not going to be attacked and tear gassed and whatever else in the, and, and abused in the same way that the protesters might be abused if they were there alone without that barrier so there were you know a lot of people would call that like there was like there's they understood that privilege they understood that they have that advantage that they a group of white people with guns in front of courthouses uh protesting uh mask orders did not elicit tear gas and rubber bullets right they were literally brandishing their weapons uh on state property and and yelling in the face of other police officers and that was cool right they didn't <laughs> there was not they, they weren't like arrested and, and 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 driven off somewhere right but we know that the story wasn't the case for protesters that were out um, in the streets protesting after the murder of George Floyd. So what they were doing, the, the group of white women and the veterans, is understanding those realities and spending that unearned ad advantage that they had by creating that physical barrier of protection for mm -hmm. the protesters. That's what we need people to do. Mm -hmm. See what we see mm -hmm. and, and figure out what you can do to support. Yes. 
from your from your seat from, from where you see from your seat yes yep so i have a quote that i want to end with and it's interesting because it's actually a quote by um ibram x kendi the author of oh, how yes. to be an anti-racist and stamped mm-hmm. uh-huh from the beginning um and um <laughs> we spent the whole episode and we may be splitting this into two parts <laughs> talking about microaggression and this quote I think we're aligned with him in spirit. This quote is about how he's like, oh, throw the microaggression word away. <laughs> like, it's too soft, basically. I know that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to end with this quote. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this, here's the quote. I do not use microaggression anymore. I detest the post-racial platform that supported its sudden popularity. I detest its component parts micro and aggression a persistent daily low hum of racist abuse is not minor i use the term abuse because aggression is not an exacting term abuse accurately describes the action and its effects on people distress anger worry depression anxiety pain fatigue and suicide yes and quote Beautiful. i mean we just we just spent all this time talking and we could have just read his quote and be done with the episode no so i'm, <laughs> I'm, you know what? I'm, I'm glad i never heard it i'm so i'm, I'm joking I, yeah i'm so glad i never heard it because that literally summed up my whole racial trauma and yes um, and mental exhaustion and common yes it's, it's abuse it is abuse, which is why when you talked about, remember in one of my other podcasts, I talked about how races are narcissists mm-hmm, and how narcissists mm-hmm. are abusive. Yeah, yeah. Ding, ding, ding. Thank you, Abraham X. Candy, for that amazing quote and that amazing book. Yes. All right, folks, we're going to end it there for now. We want to make sure we hear from you. So send us a note or your thoughts on the question of the day. And if you want to speak to us on a topic, send it our way. You can find us on our social media platform at wannabeanally or email us at wannabeanally at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to So You Want to Be an Ally wherever you get your personal podcasts. You can find me, Alani Kent, at my website, www.mosaicforequity.com. That's mosaic, M-O-S-A-I-C, four, as in the digit four, equity, E-Q-U-I-T-Y. Follow me on Facebook and on LinkedIn at Mosaic for Equity. You can find me with that handle and on Instagram as well. You can find me, Darlene, at my website, www.parentszonellc.com. And follow me on Facebook at Donnie Davis, that's D-A-U-N-I and Parent Zone LLC, and on Instagram at PZ Parenting Coaching. All right, we're out. Bye. See you later. <laughs>